You're listening to a Military Life Media podcast. Hi, I'm Beth Rayner, and this is the Military Life Podcast Parents Edition, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, and supports the parents of military kids and ADF members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, valuing our stories, and sharing information. Let's do this together. There's everyday life, then there's a life in defence. There's nothing else quite like it. And for me, there's no other bank that understands this the way Defence Bank does. With products and services tailored for ADF members and defence spouses, 30 on-base branches across Australia and an award-winning banking app, they just get defence. But don't take my word for it. Others agree, in fact, they were recently awarded Defence Services Bank of the Year by WeMoney, a unique bank for a life like no other. Visit defencebank.com.au today to find out more. This week on the podcast, enjoy listening to some real talk from a handful of defence partners who have previously detailed their spouse journey with us on past episodes. This episode is all about what it's really like to become a defence partner and live defence life. As you'll hear from listening to the stories of defence partners, our experiences are unique, yet have many common threads that run so deep and connect us. So get comfy and enjoy listening to this compilation episode that sheds light on the question, how do you even plan for a family, let alone support defence kids through the challenges and celebrations of defence life? Did you and your husband talk about how kids would fit in with postings or plan kids around postings? Or was it just a matter of kids will fit in with whatever's happening with Defence Life? How did you sort of talk about and plan for children? We run our life with the idea that you just have to fit in. Your kids just have to fit in. And that's not just with Defence Life, that's in general. So we already had a son who was four when my partner joined. We were trying to have have another baby before we got posted and then obviously that didn't work because he was never home funny that yeah I know it was great timing when he was like yeah sure let's have another baby I was like yeah well (laughs) so we finally I had a baby when we were posted here but that I think was more of a shock than already having a child I know it sounds like a repeat but didn't really think about the what ifs or how that was going to work I just kind of roll with the punches of life and whatever happens happens but it was only more so when I realized that majority of my pregnancy I was doing by myself and I had gestational diabetes so I was at the hospital every week and then the fear factor of having to deliver a baby on my own was also really scary and something I didn't think of either and that was a massive possibility he was meant to leave and go to New Zealand on my due date and strangely the universe something crazy happened and he hurt his knee and he ended up touring his ACL and so he ended up actually having surgery three weeks after I had a cesarean so it kind of worked out beneficial because we were together at least and he was able to be there for her birth yeah I I took all those things I think for granted beforehand or I didn't really think that it would happen to us or I don't know I just thought that it will always work out in our favor but the fear factor set in I think only when I really realized that I'm doing this by myself and then the realization of how many 
people actually have their children by themselves or with a family member as a supporter, not their husband. And that really, really came after the fact. And then I guess the fact that you had already had a child when he wasn't in defense. So you sort of know what that experience is like. And then you're going through the whole experience when he is in defense. And the difference is that it's not reliable that he will be around. Like you said, it's like you're doing it all over again. Yeah, yeah. And it was very different. Just the worry as well, because my gestational diabetes got a lot worse and they couldn't control it. So I ended up having to be on insulin and, you know, all the fear factors, they almost didn't let me leave the hospital because I was badly underweight, which wasn't really underweight, but for being pregnant and where you should have been. And all of those fear factors came into play of, you know, I've got another child on her. I didn't really picture this happening. And so I think I definitely walked in there blind and I walked out with my eyes completely open and aware, but also, I guess, stronger in the idea that we still can do anything. I know that a lot of people say that, but defense women are super strong because we put up with such a change of everything or choice or decision. And yeah, so I guess you just walk away knowing that you can do it again if you needed to. And perspective as in minor things that might have been a big deal previously. They're like, eh, I've dealt with worse than that. Yeah. And I know this also doesn't sound great, but someone's always ever been in your position or had it worse. And I know that it's not a good thing, but it definitely shows that it's not just a you problem. It's, you know, it happens all the time. So you're not alone. And there's going to be always someone out there that you can reach out to or connect with that's kind of gone through a similar thing in this type of lifestyle anyway. You'd been in Brisbane for a little while by the time you had your daughter. What did you sort of do when you moved to a new area to start to establish a friend network or start to connect with people? My son went to kindy for I think like three months or something like that. And then we enrolled him into school. We went to an orientation day before he started and I met one of my bestest friends here that I've met. And then it kind of just snowboarded from there. I've met a few friends through work, but mostly through the kids. And I've met some through Defence Facebook pages, which my partner thinks is super creepy. And you kind of do when you're not in this lifestyle, but it's definitely a good way to meet friends. After I had Ara, I went to the community centre on base and I also found some lovely women there, which was beautiful. And I've kind of just connected that way through our neighbours and Facebook, really. So I've got a really good friends network here. In saying that, you've mentioned to me that you've got two kids, a husband that lives away, a job, and then you also said that you've got a side hustle. How do you juggle all that? Um, (laughs) I find the less time you have, the more you get done because you just get it done in the time that you've got. Pretty much I always run that way. I've always been that person who, like, you know, hates getting up in the morning. Uh, So pretty much what happens is I work the normal full-time job during the daytime and then just before I go to bed, I'll just reconnect with everybody and kind of reach out to everybody and check how everyone's going on the side hustle side of things and pretty much manage it that way. I also use, you know, those times when you're walking or just trying to have your own time um, and I utilise that time. Not that it's huge, but there is those small windows where I utilise that and just being super organised as well. My husband and I always wanted to have children. We talked about them fitting into with their schooling and things like that, postings fitting into schooling. Yeah, from personal experience, I understand that moving a child can be a really traumatic, especially in primary school. Not only primary school, high school as well. 
My parents moved me from the Northern Territory to New South Wales um, in primary school. That had a massive effect. And the fact that I had to repeat because I was moved in the middle of the year. So, so I guess you can, you can plan and, and talk about having kids as much as you want, but you know, they come when they're, they're ready to come and you know, the journey is not always like, okay, we're ready for a child. Let's have a baby sort of thing. So what was your journey to becoming a parent like? So I kind of always knew that I'd struggle to fall pregnant. So as soon as we got married, we started trying and five years later, we still hadn't had a baby. And so we decided to go and see a doctor and find out why the reason why we couldn't fall pregnant because I knew it would take a while, but I didn't think it would take five years. We did our first round of IVF and yet yeah, nine eggs were fertilized from that after finding out we kind of thought there was some it was my issue and it was it ended up being my issue. So we just had to we had to go the IVF way. So how did the IVF process work? Was your husband home for that? Like, was he away for work? Like, how did it work with his job and being home and being able to Um, to go through that process? So most of the time he was home, but there were a couple of times when he, he was posted away. That took a toll on me. That was very hard because I had to do the needles myself. The needles, I'd already, like my husband used to set the needles up and then I'd them in my stomach um, I wouldn't let anyone else do them but when he wasn't there I kind of I think I went shut down a little bit because I was just like I I can't deal with this on my own and I'm trying to do the needles myself not having him there to help out and just the emotional toll that it took it's a roller coaster ride anyway but to add that he was away I couldn't get the needles worked out and one time it just didn't work because of like I didn't do it properly basically. How was your husband feeling about not being able to be there to support you through that? Oh he didn't like it either but we couldn't do anything about it and so the next time that I tried because he didn't want me to try again while he was away but I kind of I felt like I was running out of time and needed to have another go at it so my sister-in-law helped me with the needles so she got them ready and then I just injected them so yeah. And so how many yeah. rounds of IVF did you end up doing and what was the the results for each round? Like how did it all Okay, so six full rounds and three frozen. So the um, six full rounds, I think one of the frozen ones worked, but it only lasted a couple of weeks. I, I lost it. But other than that, I didn't have positive pregnancy mm-hmm. at all. And it wasn't until we went through three doctors the first one I had surgery with him he found endometriosis he burnt it all off and then probably two years later I tried again and then I went we tried another doctor had heard something about a doctor on a current affair that had massive huge results with IVF patients and he worked with a naturopath so we went up there and we spoke to him. He ended up just doing another surgery where he cut all the endometriosis out again. And he basically said it was wrapped in, so it was like a stage four. And I didn't actually do any IVF treatment with him because he was a private doctor and it was fairly expensive to fly over there, accommodation, and then have to pay for the IVF procedure. So we ended up going, trying a guy that I had heard of that lived, used to live in Wagga 
and he moved to Newcastle. We tried with him. He wasn't actually the doctor that did the IVF process, so I had a different doctor, but we couldn't do anything about it. That was just um, how it was done. And then my husband just read somewhere about Monash to IVF and their success rate, and we arranged a meeting with the doctor. Her name was um, Kim Matthews. She is one of the most fantastic doctors and I can't speak enough about her. She was just so lovely. Every other doctor tried to take our money, like not tried to take our money. I shouldn't say that. They, they just kind of didn't really look further into what was going on and they didn't give me basically what I needed to hear. They kind of just went, oh, you just need to keep doing IVF cycles But she basically did one cycle and then she sat me down and she basically said to me, well, I can keep taking your money or we can do something completely different. And she suggested using a donor. And at the time I wasn't really, I was thinking, oh, I don't, I don't know if there was anyone in my family. I was just thinking of family. I wanted someone that could do it because I still wanted to have that blood relationship with my child. But then she just said to me, well, you've got to think outside the box and basically even though someone else's egg it's still coming out of you basically she said so and we went from there and I managed like it took a while but I asked all my family I asked a few of my friends which I don't I had trouble asking because it's very hard to ask someone and it's a massive thing for someone to do so I asked some of my closest friends um And then they all said, uh, one of them said they would do it and that was fine. But when it came down to, I needed, I actually needed her to do it. She kind of backed away and said, unfortunately, she couldn't do it. Um, She had kids of her own as well. So that was hard. We took that really, really hard because we thought we had someone to go through the IVF process with us. And then all of a sudden I was talking on the phone to a friend from school and I was really close to, but we'd kind of had a little bit of distance um, for a while there. And I spoke to her and I just knew that I was looking for someone to donate an egg. And she just went, I'll do it. So have you spoken about family planning and how that will work in with postings and deployments and time away? Well... That's a tricky one. (laughs) That is a tricky one. He's well aware of uh, what family means to me. Um, Family is huge to me. And we talked about this from the very beginning, you know, before we even really started dating that, you know, I said, like, I don't particularly want to be a mum at home with children and you away, you know. But as time's gone on, we just will probably cross that bridge when we get to it. It's a little way down the track yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to go on my honeymoon first. <laughs> That's a good um, idea. Yeah. Look, when it comes to it, I mean, next year he's back at shore. So we have a couple of years up our sleeve before we have to really, you know, I mean, lots can change, as you know. So at the moment, we're just living in the present moment and we have an 11-week-old puppy and at the moment that's kind of put me off all children. So... They are pretty bad in the start, aren't they? Forgot what it was like. Toilet training and the 
waking up at night and chewing with the teeth and the yeah we're just kind of you know enjoying married life I guess for the moment um while he is here and and the children you know we'll just cross it when we get to that yeah we're pretty open with it but you know at the moment I think we just want to enjoy that time and just go traveling and enjoy while we can so so will your husband ever be posted away from Sydney or most of his jobs in Sydney yeah so we did have an opportunity coming up as they're finishing this year to possibly go elsewhere but that has been squashed so uh, we'll be in Sydney easily probably for at least the next three years he he doesn't get shifted around which is nice I guess Um, but there are opportunity there to to go you know other places but it's a very small window of opportunity depending what jobs are opening up and things like that. When you were overseas, you got married, came back. What happened with talking about having children and fitting kids in? Did they come along before your husband went into the army? Initially, when we first got together, I never wanted children. I wasn't a very maternal person. So I I said to my husband, he's from a very big family. He's got seven siblings. I said to him, if you want a big family like that or, you know. (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not the person for you. So it took a while, but because our first, we're not posting, but he did his IETs in Wodonga. And we moved there and I was going towards 30. I had my 30th birthday and that's when I kind of was like, look, you know, I wouldn't mind having children. So we got pregnant in Wodonga with our son, but he wasn't actually born in Wodonga. We posted out before he was born. So So where did you go from Wodonga? To Darwin. So we were in Darwin for our first official posting, which wasn't our first choice. It was actually none of our choices. (laughs) My husband requested Brisbane as his family live in Ipswich. So we were like, look, we're having... Having our first child, we would like to be close to family. But the army had other ideas, so they sent us to Darwin. Yeah, we, he even said at the bottom, he's like, please do not send me to Darwin. <laughs> it is what it is. And it was a good experience. So. That was when you were 38 weeks pregnant. Can you talk yeah. us through that? I had most of my pregnancy in Wodonga, all of my antenatal care. And then we found out we were posting to Darwin, which was a bit of a shock. So I had to organise for all my paperwork to be sent to the Royal Darwin Hospital. We never been up there neither of us knew anyone up there had ever been up there knew nothing about darwin other than it's hot that um, doesn't really uh go well with being 38 weeks no. pregnant but yeah <laughs> and then my husband actually asked he said look can we sort of delay posting can i maybe start a bit later you know can we like have the move a little bit later but unfortunately that wasn't something they were willing to do for us so we got in the car we drove by ipswich and we made the decision for me to stay with his parents while he drove the rest of the way to Darwin because I said to him, I said, I can't sit in the car for that long. I love it how you say, oh, we just got in the car and drove from Wodonga to Ipswich because like anyone who is from Australia would know that that's a pretty far way. Um, And yeah, toilet stops when you're 38 weeks pregnant for that amount of distance, that would add like another two days. (laughs) He actually wanted to do it in one go. So it's about 16 hours, I think maybe 17 hours. And I said, look, I can't, I can't do it in one go. So we stopped, we 
we stopped overnight and then we got to Ipswich and I stayed there I think for four days while he drove the rest of the way and I flew up on yep. the day he got to Darwin and we just and like we were, what crossing everything fingers toes legs yeah. everything that the baby didn't come while you were yeah. there and he was flying over to Darwin oh well driving yeah. over to Darwin my mother-in-law said to me she's like well you're either gonna have the baby on a plane if he comes early or you could have him on the side of the road if you were to go in the car with alcohol I was like mm, yes <laughs> I don't know which one which one is worse I'm probably the side of the road <laughs> so how did it all go with you flying over and then the baby coming like talk us through how many days you had to settle in before you had the baby so I got there and I arrived on a Saturday I think it was and that following week I had um, an appointment with the hospital because obviously they didn't know me and I had that and the doctor there said look you're not gonna see me again because you'll have this baby within <laughs> the next week and I was like okay <laughs> and I went back to our temporary accommodation um, Michael actually found out he had a friend from high school that had moved to Darwin so we met up with them on Halloween just for a drink she was also pregnant similar sort of gestation to me so we just oh, had wow. a, a virgin cocktail both of yeah. us and um, say see you next time at the hospital <laughs> yeah, yeah pretty much <laughs> and we went back to our accommodation and yep and that's where my waters broke and I went to hospital and I had him two days later and we were due to move out of the temporary accommodation the day after so I turned oh up goodness. and the removalists were like this baby looks very new I was like yes he's about 48 hours old <laughs> oh my gosh so how did that go with like nesting and wanting to feel settled and ready before the baby came like you're in temporary accommodation you've just moved yeah. your whole life from Wodonga up to Darwin nothing's unpacked you know pretty much no one at the hospital yeah. no yeah how did that feel we packed as much as we could that essentials that we thought we would need into the car so for that eventuality if you know he was he came early we were like okay we have the essentials here and then when we actually moved into our house we had a couple of colleagues of Michael's who had posted up from Wodonga with us, they came and helped us unpack. So that was really, really good. They they didn't have kids, so they were single and they just said, look, we'll come around, we'll help you unpack, you just tell us where stuff goes and we'll just get rid of some boxes for you. A week later, my mum flew over from England, so I had wow. I had quite a bit of help. So I was quite lucky that we had that, but it was, yeah, it was just a mess for a while. <laughs> yeah. Was your husband like, I'll just pop in and say hi and okay, I'm on paternity leave now. Like what was the what was the deal with him starting his new job and when I had our son he think he took the day or two days off and then I said to him I was like look you get your two weeks but you might as well wait because it was November by this point I said you might as well wait till Christmas leave because I've got my mum coming then my sister came my other sister came then his parents came so there was always visitors sort of staggered and I said look just save the two weeks till Christmas and then just have a really big Christmas break so he ended up just tagging it onto his Christmas leave and having about seven weeks off which worked out really well. So you mentioned ultimately you gave MWDU a go and it yeah. just wasn't for you guys. So you've yeah. made the decision to move. So And you <laughs> said that, that it's not just a matter of, okay, let's go pack the car yeah. and let's go. What What is the process now for doing that? The process is, so from a defence side of things, it's been really quite simple. My partner spoke to whoever he needed to speak to. We've been given access to Home Find in his posting location. And then once we've made that final decision he just needs to let his bosses at work know so that it changes over from MWDU to accompanied and there's no real hassle 
on the defence side of things. Toll will move us down there. Um, in that sense, the, the difficult part for us negotiating is our kids, our children and our ex-partners and how we negotiate time for our children to spend quality time with all parents involved as well. So there's negotiations happening at the moment in regards to that. That's another difficult element to defence life when you're coming from a blended family is that sometimes you do need to leave your family behind like my partners had to do and then on the flip side of that is that our children will potentially have less time with one of their parents to make you know defense life work and that's hard yeah and how were you feeling about the decision to move with that side of things it's heartbreaking almost in the sense that the possibility of our both sets of children not having access to another parent when they may want them or need them and that's that's difficult yeah what would be the ideal outcome for access to all the children and what would your ideal situation be? Well, my ideal situation would be that my children post down with me and negotiate some fair and reasonable quality time with their dad up here in Brisbane. I'm lucky in the sense that he does have that defence background. So he does understand what defence life is like. And he's been quite good in the sense that if I've gone down to Victoria for a week or so, he'd have the children extra time get them to school and things like that so it's a good working relationship that we have ultimately I'd love that my partner's children's primary live with their mother up here in Brisbane and if anybody knows what it's like traveling between Brisbane and Victoria it's quite expensive and in the car it's a very long journey so we also need to really look at what is best for his children as well at the moment they see him semi-regularly when he's flying home on his reunion trips so yeah it's really just weighing up the options at the moment as much as I would love to just pack up and be down there with him it just can't happen when do you hope everything will be resolved and a plan Mm. put in place so you can hopefully move down so we're aiming for january next year before the school year starts just to get settled and kids into routine and that and just let them finish out the school year here you mentioned that you've got older children um they are happy to go with you to post with you yeah so that's that's the other my children are older so my eldest is 18 so she's currently in her first year of university up here so she wouldn't come down with us and then I have a 14 and 10 year old as well the 14 year old I'd say she's a typical teenager and she doesn't like anything and she doesn't like parents and she doesn't like adults so um she's difficult in that sense but um we just took a recent trip over the school holidays to my partner's posting location and explored and checked it out and things like that so you know the kids could suss it out so it wouldn't be this brand new scary place that they were moving to so what's the general posting plan so once you guys go down to Wodonga um, how long are you likely to be there for and then what's the next sort of move after that that's also another consideration we're taking on board as well so this is only a two-year posting that my partner has he's due for promotion so there is a chance that he could even promote at the end of this year and post out of where he is as well but we think it will be the end of next year that that happens yeah so we don't know where to from here Adelaide's been thrown around and so has Townsville but it's really just waiting and seeing what's going to happen and how do you think the older kids that are going with you will feel about going somewhere for a year and then going somewhere yeah. else <laughs> that's the other consideration we have to take will it be better for my older kids if they actually stay here in Brisbane with their dad and stay at their current schools and then I see them on school holidays and hopefully 
you know, once a, during the midterm or something like that, you know, their dad's more than capable of looking after them just as I am. Um, so it really, when I said we're negotiating, we're trying to figure out what's best for our children and working with that. So there is a possibility that I may stay here in Brisbane, may go down to my partner's posting locality without my older children or that we all go together. Yeah. So they're the three options we have at the moment. If the decision is made for them to stay because that's the best mm-hmm. for them, it still doesn't yeah. make it any easier for you to make that decision. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. It makes it probably harder in the sense that um, a bit of mother's guilt would kick in that, you know, I'm leaving my children behind. But I also have to remember my youngest daughter's dad you know 1500 kilometers from us you know a year round as well so she's missing out on her relationship with her dad well you know my partner's missing out on a relationship with his daughter we're just lucky we have things like FaceTime and can record videos on our phone and send them off so they get to connect that way but you know it's a big mess (laughs) yeah so when you first went into the relationship knowing that you both had kids and before you fell pregnant Mm. was there any thoughts of maybe this is not a good idea or was it just that you both hit it off so much that it was like, well, we'll just make it work? There was never a thought for me that it wasn't a good idea to be with my partner. We get along great. We've got the same sense of humour and things like that. Um, So it was never that we wouldn't be together. That was never, ever discussed. It was always how do we make our situation work best for our family and it's not forever and it's never going to be perfect, but we've just got to do what we think at the time is best for our family and our relationship. I so hope you are able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 